0: There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc., a book of the month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. the two of the hymn the will of god is always best god is my comfort and my trust my hope and life abiding in the gospel reading for this coming sunday jesus encounters a funeral which he stops and out of compassion it says he raises a widow's son from the dead he brings life where all there was was death and he restores to this woman her only means of support and her beloved son So how should we understand what Jesus does there, and how does it apply also to us? Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the 16th Sunday after Trinity, and the gospel reading in Luke chapter 7 of Jesus raising a widow's son. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back.
1: Good to be with you, Todd.
0: We have one of several accounts of Jesus raising the dead in Luke 7, the raising of the widow's son, as a gospel reading for this coming Sunday. We know what Jesus' resurrection is all about. It is about his vindication, the vindication of his sacrifice on the cross, and securing for us our future resurrection. What are these pre-resurrection resurrections that Jesus performs in the Gospels
1: all about? Sure. I think there are a number of important things that we could highlight under that question that you raise. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist prepares for it by saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's announcing the coming of Messiah together with all of the benefits of forgiveness, life, and salvation, which includes resurrection and the restoration of the broken and fallen world. So the work of Jesus in his death and resurrection transcends time. It reaches backward and forward in time so that all salvation, you could say, is rooted in the reality of what Jesus accomplished in his death to atone for sin. And the result of that atoning work, which is forgiveness of sin, and where there's forgiveness, there's life and salvation, to use catechism language. So when John the Baptist says the kingdom of God is at hand, it has drawn near, he is talking about the person and work of Jesus. And so then we begin to see in Jesus' ministry what the prophets foretold, that the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the blind would have sight restored to them, and the dead would be raised up." So it's sort of like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the resurrection to eternal life is beginning to bust in to the world now. And we see that throughout Jesus' ministry, not only in the raising of the widow's son, but in the most famous raising of Lazarus, one week before Holy Week. And that helps to precipitate the death of Jesus and the plans against him. But it's really the breaking in, Todd, and it's really in fulfillment of the scriptures, and it really points to Jesus. He is Messiah. He is the kingdom of God. He is Son of God in human flesh. He is the source of life. And that leads us into the theme for this Sunday. It's kind of a two-fold foci here. Number one, Jesus raises the dead. And restores life and communion with God and with one another through his forgiving word. And then, number two, God's will, through the things that we suffer as Christians, always serve the cause of creating and preserving faith in Christ as the resurrection and the life. The hymn of the day for the 16th Sunday after Trinity is LSB 758, the Will of God is Always Best. And let me just comment about that title, that assertion, the will of God is always best. It's not God's will that I, as a Christian, steal or that I commit adultery or something of that nature. That's not what is being referred to. The will of God is always best, sort of like a que sera, sera. You know, whatever will be, will be. Well, that's God's will and it's always best. But rather it refers to the suffering, the sickness, the death of loved ones that may intrude upon our lives, that for the Christian who believes and trusts in the Lord Jesus as his God and Savior, what God permits to come into his life, even if it is horrific, suffering and grief, will always serve the cause, from God's point of view, of creating and sustaining our faith in the Lord Jesus throughout this earthly pilgrimage until the day of our resurrection. So this obviously highlights themes of the resurrection, and, and that can lead us into some catechism connections. There are many, of course, the second article of the Creed that talks about our Lord's resurrection from the dead, and the explanation that says that we'll live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. and. Under the third article, right there at the end, after the forgiveness of sins comes the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And it is the Holy Spirit who will raise us together with all Christians from the dead on the last day. The office of the keys, the central key that opens the kingdom of heaven, that opens the grave, is the key of the forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake the sacrament of the altar. Where there's forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation, which of course includes the resurrection. And finally, I mean, this is not the only one, but you can go to the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer, uh, deliver us from evil, the evil one who wishes to destroy faith. And certainly Jesus did that with his forgiving word and then raising this widow's son from the dead and restoring that young man to communion with his mother, that he might be able to care for her. So the Catechism always has connections, doesn't it? All over with every text from God's Word, and that's what makes the Catechism so rich.
0: How does the Collect for the Day read for this coming Sunday?
1: It reads this way, O Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, that we may continually be given to all good works, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now, one of the things that I found interesting in preparing for this Sunday was this collect, because it's talking about good works, but we've got the raising of the widow's son in the gospel. We've got the raising of the widow's son in the Old Testament reading, and we've got God's thanksgiving for the overwhelming grace of God in the epistle. So why is good, are good works highlighted in this collect? And then stepping back from it, it became a little bit more obvious. That phrase, given to good works, is preceded by, we pray that your grace may always go before. Good works are those works that flow from faith in Christ and the grace of God. They are the works that flow from faith and are of service to the neighbor. So that means that we are called to live by faith in the grace of God, and then out of that flows our loving service to one another. And Jesus restored communion between the widow's son and the widow, and the Lord did that also in the Old Testament that they might continue to live in their earthly pilgrimage as long as God would grant them, according to his will, the grace to do so. So I think that just the highlighting of good works flow from faith in Christ and are of service to the neighbor is an important emphasis, that the source of the fruit of faith is the grace of God. That's where good works flow. And certainly the compassion and the grace of God overflowed from Jesus to this woman in the gospel for the day.
0: We remain in Psalm 86 for the intro at this Sunday. Take us in there.
1: That's right, Uh, the 15th Sunday after Trinity had Psalm 86, and now so also the 16th Sunday, and it reads this way. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So, I find it interesting, you know, when Sundays repeat verses and themes, in this case in the introit, from a previous Sunday. And what's the point? I think that Psalm 86 is employed for both Trinity 15 and 16 in the introit. Highlight how these two Sundays are kind of like twin Sundays in terms of the comfort that they are intended to offer to the Christian as we sojourn throughout our life to the day of the resurrection. If you remember in Trinity 15, we had the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And if you think of these widows on the 16th Sunday after Trinity, they not only had to contend with the grief of having lost their sons, but they also had to deal with The anxiety and the worry. What's going to become of me? How will I eat? How will I drink? How will I provide for myself? Because my social security net was my firstborn son, and now he is gone. So you have those kinds of connections. The 15th Sunday after Trinity seems to deal so much with the day-to-day life of the Christian, which is sustained by the grace of God in Christ. Worry not about your clothing. And then here on the 16th Sunday, you see the one who is the righteousness of God that we are to seek, according to the 15th Sunday, the one who is none other than the resurrection and the life, even Jesus Christ our Lord. The common verses to both introits are these words, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. That's what we pray throughout our earthly pilgrimage until the day of our resurrection and then incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. And he always hears and he always answers the Christian whose faith is set on Christ and upon the promises of the gospel.
0: What is the Alleluia
1: verse? The Alleluia verse is Psalm 115, verse 11. Alleluia, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield, alleluia. So the call to faith, is emphasized. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. And then the declaration that the Lord is our help and our shield is the basis for that faith. He is their help and their shield. And we see that in evidence in both widows from the Old Testament and the gospel for the day.
0: Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. We'll get into that gospel in Luke chapter 7 after this. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal Subscription button at issuesetc.org.
2: Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care,
1: and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at
2: lcms.org deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Teach, learn, connect at Louisville's Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Our school is the only LCMS school in the greater Louisville metro area. It's a traditional Christian school with a rich history of academic excellence. From preschool through eighth grade, our teachers, staff, and church congregation connect with children across our city every day. Learn more online at Facebook or Twitter or call 502-426-0864. Pumpkin spice-flavoured everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Cruesome's mugs, featuring your favourite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses or Christian humour. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practised here. Visit AdCruesome.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com.
0: Difficult teachings of Scripture is the theme of the October issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine, and covers issues like polygamy, slavery, the expulsion of the Canaanites, and more. You can receive a digital and print subscription to the Lutheran Witness for less than twenty dollars. Learn more at cph.org/witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House. interpreting the world from a lutheran perspective the lutheran witness magazine we're looking forward to sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary pastor peter bender is our guest we come to the holy gospel luke 7 verse 11-17 through
1: jesus went to a town called nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him as he drew near to the gate of the town behold a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the gospel of the Lord. Nain is an inland village in Galilee. This presents a dramatic scene, doesn't it? Jesus and his disciples are approaching the village, and then there is this funeral procession carrying a young man, the only son of his mother, and she is a widow. Grief over the death of a loved one is great, no matter who that loved one is. This grief is compounded. This man was the only son of his mother. She may have had some daughters, we're not told, but she certainly had no other sons. So her grief is compounded by the fact then that she is a widow. No social security safety net in those days. The firstborn son especially, or the son that survived after the firstborn's death, had the responsibility to take care of his mother, especially if the husband had died. So this widow has no one. So the loneliness of death, Todd, and the separation from communion with a husband and now with her only son was great. You can imagine again, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? My son, my son, my only son is dead. So she now has to contend with the responsibility of caring for herself or finding some other means of support. So here's the connection between the gospel for the 16th Sunday after Trinity and the previous Sunday, where Jesus says, "Do not worry about your life, what you were eat, or what you were put on, or about your body, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing." I mean, to say that in the face of the death of a widow's only son, almost sounds cruel, doesn't it? But there is that connection, you know, trust in the Lord who created you, who made you. He loves you. Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? From a human standpoint, she had, of course, every reason to worry. But in the gospel for this Sunday, the Lord was moved by compassion for her. I love that word, compassion. It means that the heart breaks open in love for her, empathizing with her as Jesus is acquainted fully with all of the sources of our grief and sorrow and suffering. And he speaks a word that would be cruel and heartless if it were not for his resurrection. And if it were not for his victory over death, he says, do not weep. But his words are not cruel and heartless because his words are rooted in actions, in the actions of salvation, in his death and resurrection. And as we talked in the outset with your opening question, you know, here's a resurrection before Jesus' resurrection. It is the kingdom of God breaking in. It is an advance payment, if you will, on the work of Christ upon the cross in his death and resurrection. So, what does Jesus do? The things that he does in this miracle highlight the character and nature of the gospel itself. He touches the buyer, the casket, in which the dead man is lying. And the whole funeral procession stands still. It is as if Jesus, by this action, shows himself to be the one who arrests death itself. And indeed, that is the case. His touch of the casket would have rendered him ceremonially unclean, but his action of touching the casket indicate that he has come to assume our death into himself. The cause of death is sin, and he has taken that sin into himself, and the touch of that casket indicates as much. He became unclean for us, that we might become clean in him by his forgiveness and be raised by his forgiveness from the death of sin. So the act of his incarnation, his enfleshment, the assumption of our sin and guilt into himself as true God and true man, and his death upon the cross in atonement for our sin gives him the authority then to say, young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus' word delivers his victory over sin and death to us that was true not only in the ministry of Jesus, but it is true for us today. So the man sits up, and he responds to Jesus' word, and he begins to speak. You he made alive, Paul says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That spiritual death gives way to spiritual life, and that spiritual life is first and foremost faith. And love for Christ and out of that the confession of the mouth so I believe therefore I have spoken this man sits up and he begins to speak by his word we shall be raised from the dead on the last day when he returns again in glory and the trumpet sounds so you got Ephesians 2 1 you we made alive were dead in trespasses and sins and first Corinthians the trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed That Jesus gave, then, this man back to his mother in the Lucan narrative is a beautiful picture of how the resurrection of the body will not only restore life and communion with God, but it will also restore life and communion with one another, with those who have gone on before us who have died in the faith. And then Luke records that fear sees them all. Why? because the power over death had been witnessed by them in Jesus, who is this man. And they glorified God, which is the proper response. They said, a great prophet has arisen among us. And they were right, because the great prophet of the Lord will speak words that actually give life, that convey life, that create life where there is death, comfort where there is sadness and grief. Forgiveness where there is sin. Words that save and rescue God's people. And so they say, God has visited his people. And so they're recognizing in the miracle of raising this widow's son that the kingdom of God has indeed broken in. God has visited his people. It is a proper confession of faith that Jesus is God and that he has visited them with the messianic victory over sin that all of the prophets bore witness to victory over sin, over death, over the grave, and he delivers that victory to us through his life-giving word. So then Luke says the report about Jesus spread through all of Judea and the surrounding country. It's significant not only because it reported to the Jews and the elders of the people that some amazing miracles had happened, but that report indicated in the kinds of miracles that were reported, the dead being raised, that the specific designation of Jesus as Son of God and long-awaited Messiah is being made. So, this is part of the reason when we get to Holy Week and we get to Palm Sunday, there were those pilgrims gathered there that had either witnessed the very miracles of the kingdom of God breaking in, or they had heard about them. And they had heard so much about Jesus as the one who performed these signs and wonders, testifying that he was the Christ and the victor over death, that they had to see him for themselves. And so they came and they sang, Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
0: Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We will get to the Old Testament reading in First Kings 17 for the coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary, next. (music) Issues Etc. Regular guests, Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman, are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040 or learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message.
3: This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts 1 and 2, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da, 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 dum. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the Word of the Lord endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at the wordindoors.org
2: or your favorite podcast provider. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org slash conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org.
0: Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C.
2: We like our crosses full and our tombs empty. You're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus.
0: Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Welcome back, I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. The Old Testament reading is from 1 Kings 17, beginning at verse 17, Pastor Bender.
1: After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you again have against me o man of god you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son and he said to her give me your son and he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you cannot help, Todd, but see the connection between the gospel for the day, Luke 7, and the raising of the widow's son, and the Old Testament for the day, the raising of the widow's son. And there are a lot of lovely parallels between the two. Jesus touches the casket, the body of that young man, rendering himself ceremonially unclean. Elijah does the same thing by stretching out three times on the body of this dead son. And then as Jesus cried out, arise to that dead son, Elijah does the same, and the life comes back into him again. So it's important to note, again, we've been highlighting that there is a twin set of Sundays here, the 15th Sunday after Trinity. Do not worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this 16th Sunday after Trinity, The raising of the widow's son in the 15th Sunday after Trinity, you have the first part of the story of Elijah, where he is sent by God to the widow of Zarephath to be provided for. And he is provided for by her, and everything's going along peachy. You know, the jar of oil doesn't run out, and the flour doesn't get used up. And then suddenly, in this Sunday's Old Testament reading, This son, who had been sustained by a miracle of God's grace by that oil and meal, then gets sick and dies. And isn't this the point of connection? If God, by his word of grace, so sustained them throughout their earthly pilgrimage by the prophet's word, will he not much more also sustain them even in the time of sorrow and death? So do not worry about your life from the previous Sunday as carried into this Sunday's gospel reading that the source of life who has provided for you throughout your earthly life will also provide resurrection and salvation. So does the intrusion of death into the life of this woman who had come to know the Lord through the ministry of Elijah indicate that the Lord had rejected this woman because of her sin? Absolutely not. Yet this woman's conclusion is often what we are tempted to believe. When sickness or death enter into our lives, not the kind of death where we're expecting it, a very aged grandparent living well into their 90s, finally gets sick and dies, but dies a peaceful death. It troubles us less than that premature death of a son where the parents still live. What have you against me, O man of God, she says. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And that's the temptation which we are all faced with at times in our lives. And so the Old Testament reading and this woman's declaration gives voice to that temptation. I find the prophet's action, give me your son, so lovely. I find it to be parallel to the actions of our pastors who ask parents to give their children to us, to instruct them, to baptize them, to catechize them, to absolve them, to give them the Lord's supper. Why? That they might be delivered from eternal death and destruction. Give me your son. You know, when Elijah first went to this woman, he said, trust the word of the Lord that I give to you. And by a miracle of God's grace, she did. And that word of the Lord sustained her. So now in the face of death, Give me your son. As you trusted the word of the Lord before, so trust the word of the Lord now. Another thing I find so lovely here is the prayer of Elijah. It's revealing. It is a prayer of a true pastor. He feels the burdens, he feels the sorrows of those he is called to minister to. Even though we as pastors know that we have the words of eternal life, still, we grieve with our members we grieve with the sheep jesus wept at the death of lazarus so we empathize with them we grieve with them we cry out to the lord on their behalf and then we speak the lord's comforting words i already mentioned this threefold stretching out upon this son by elijah but i think we should also note that that is an allusion To both the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whose name we are baptized, and our Lord's resurrection from the dead on the third day. I think both are in play here, and we should see those kinds of shadows of things to come in all of its fullness in the New Testament church and in the sacramental ministry of Jesus. That the Lord listened to Elijah is also parallel to how God the Father listens to our Lord Jesus. And he listens to the Lord Jesus because he is pleased with him on the basis of Jesus' willing and faithful work of salvation on our behalf. So by his word, he forgives our sins. By his word, we are raised from the dead. And the Father listens to the word of his Son because it is anchored in the Son's acts of salvation on our behalf. So as in the gospel for the day. Elijah, the man of God, gives the son back to his mother, restoring communion between them and providing the care that she needed through the restoration of her son's life. So you remember those times like Jesus asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say, Elijah. Why? You know, because Jesus was doing the same kinds of things that Elijah was doing showing himself to be the prophet greater than Elijah and greater than Moses, the one who would usher in the kingdom of God. I think it's important to note that Elijah's name means Yahweh is God, the Lord is God. And this is certainly the confession that this miracle proclaims. And it is the confession which the widow of Zarephath also confessed. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth." So it finds its fulfillment in Jesus' resurrection, doesn't it? So that widow's confession after the resurrection of her son, your word is truth, finds its fulfillment in Jesus' resurrection. By his resurrection, the apostles knew that his word was truth. And by the strength of his word and the Holy Spirit, they were enabled to testify faithfully even to their own deaths and persecution and martyrdom of the truth of the gospel. So our faith rests confidently upon the apostolic witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus, according to the scriptures.
0: We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the One-Year Lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. This is Issues Etc., I'm Todd Wilkin here's what pastor matt harrison president of the lutheran church of missouri Synod, had to say about i trust when dark my road a lutheran view of depression pastor todd peppercorn has taken a courageous step in both writing and allowing this booklet to be published it is a journey into and through his deepest struggles this book will be a profound blessing to many we've produced a new audiobook of i trust when dark my road voiced by pastor todd peppercorn you can listen and download it for free just go to issuesetc.org and enter your email address and we'll send you a link to I Trust When Dark by Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. On the other side of the break, we'll get to the gradual and the psalm for the day. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission
3: partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education, but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com
2: lutheracademy.com. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology?
1: What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the
2: September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc., I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. What are the gradual and the psalm of the day? Take us into those.
1: The gradual is Psalm 102, verses 15 and 16. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. Several things can be said about this gradual. Jesus' victory over death in the grave is at the center of Jesus' glory. It is also the reason the nations and kings will fear him. And they will fear him, if not in this life, then they will be made to bow the knee in the life to come. He appears in his glory. We see the glory of his presence in the compassion and remedy over death that he gave to these two widows and their sons in the old testament and the gospel for the day and finally the glory of god is centered in his undeserved love and grace for us in christ that's why jesus the lord was present in the glory cloud that led the children of israel through the wilderness and that glory cloud appeared between the cherubim above the seat of mercy, the Ark of the Covenant, the location of God's love and saving presence. If the gradual is not used, the psalm is Psalm 30, and verse 5b, the second half of verse 5, is the antiphon, and the psalm reads this way. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Todd, I don't think we generally think of Psalm 30 as a psalm of the resurrection. But it really is, and it is a psalm of the resurrection in a very subtle way. Verse 9 says this, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? The reference to dust there refers to how after death the body returns to the dust. Will the dust praise you? No. But in the resurrection, we will be raised bodily from the dead and we will actually bodily, physically sing and confess the praises of our Lord's victory over sin and death. So it's really subtly talking about the resurrection there. You know, if we remain dead and in the grave, our mouths will not sing, our mouths will not confess. So Psalm 30 articulates the transition of the believer from the mourning and sorrow of death and earthly hardships caused by sin, to the joy of the forgiveness of sins in the resurrection of the dead. Kind of a nice double entendre there, huh? The mourning and sorrow of death, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, gives way to the mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, of forgiveness and new life in the resurrection. So forgiveness for the broken-hearted and resurrection by the Lord's forgiveness go together. Death is caused by sin. Therefore, new life and resurrection is caused by the forgiveness of sins. And this is the source of our joy in Christ. So the antiphon captures this theme, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Again, as I said, this both literal and figurative in its application is both in the here and now for us as Christians, and in the resurrection of the body in the life to come. There is the night time of sorrow and grief and darkness and despair in this life, but there is also a breaking in in this life of the morning of the resurrection as we come to hear and believe the comfort of the resurrection and the promise of the forgiveness of sins in that resurrection that the gospel proclaims.
0: The epistle reading Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 13.
1: Ah, yes. and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh, I love this particular passage. You may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what gives us Hope and comfort in this veil of tears, doesn't it? I mean, we're going to suffer want, and we're going to suffer need. We're going to suffer sickness and sorrow, and we're going to suffer the death of loved ones. But finally, we belong to Christ, and we are filled with all of the fullness of God in the gospel of Jesus. And therefore, we have nothing to fear from this life. The present sufferings will not be worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So Paul doesn't want us or the Ephesian Christians to be discouraged by any suffering that they saw in him. That was particularly the suffering of persecution for the sake of the gospel. That's how this epistle begins. That Paul's suffering was the glory of the Ephesian Christians is a strange expression. But what it means is that through the things that St. Paul suffered in bringing the gospel to them, he not only proclaimed the suffering of Christ for their salvation, but they saw that suffering in Jesus that St. Paul endured with such fortitude and great joy as a kind of incarnational expression of the suffering of Christ for their salvation. And so that's why he calls it their glory. The glory of Christ's love and forgiveness came to them through him in his suffering. And so they should rejoice in it. So this is all anchored in the reality that it is through the suffering of Jesus that we all become partakers of God's forgiving grace and by which he then dwells in us and gives us new life and will raise us from the dead on the last day. Paul says that he bows the knee before God because of the privilege of being taken into God's plan of salvation in delivering the gospel of Christ's victory over sin in the grave to the Ephesians, and through the apostolic witness then to us. He prays for them that the Spirit of God would strengthen them through the gospel to comprehend and be rooted in the love of Christ. And the epistle concludes with that wonderful doxology to God which confesses that our future rests upon the foundation of the eternal gospel of God's love for us in Christ. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever and ever. Amen. And those two widows in the Old Testament and in the gospel for the day could certainly testify to this, that he is able to do far more abundantly than they ever thought or asked. And they witnessed it. And through the prophetic and apostolic scriptures, we hear their testimony and that of Elijah's and that of Jesus and that of St. Luke. And it's what sustains us throughout our earthly pilgrimage until the day of our resurrection.
0: How do we summarize this coming Sunday's propers in terms of law and gospel?
1: I think the law must address, number one, the belief that death is more powerful than Christ. That death is the end. It's the final word. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die and we cease to exist. That's a lie. Or if we despair in the face of death. That's a lie. For as Christians, we are not to despair. We got to preach that death is real. Death itself is a kind of preaching of the law, isn't it? The wages of sin is death. Death is an intrusion upon God's good creation. Death is that which has interrupted our communion with God. Death is separation from God, and death has resulted in the separation from one another. We don't get over the death of loved ones. We carry the burden of grief and sorrow. Our life has changed, and we long for the life to be what it was, for a restoration of that communion. But I I just think that the law must address this belief that death is somehow more powerful than Christ, or it is the end of the story, and it is not. Number two, and I say this, it, it needs to be handled in a delicate and subtle manner, because death itself and the suffering of the loss of a loved one is as we just said, proclamation of the law in itself. So the, the law must address or identify the sorrow of death. It must identify the loneliness that death brings into our world. And to do so, not in a way that shames the Christian or the hearer, but to identify and empathize with the realities that sin and death cause in our lives. They are very real realities and very real experiences. And this is necessary in order that we might be encouraged and take comfort in Christ's victory over death and the grave. In every case where there was the death of loved ones, Jesus gave them reassurance. If he said, do not weep, he backed it up with words of comfort and promises of new life and resurrection. And that leads into the gospel for the day, the unique gospel and I'll say four things. Number one, Christ has touched our bodies. Christ has taken the sin of our flesh. Christ has taken our sicknesses, our physical infirmities, our mental illnesses, our emotional distress. He has taken our death into himself. Number two, Jesus' death for our sins has taken away the cause of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Death is taken away by Jesus' word of forgiveness. So number three, I forgive you, I forgive you, be of good cheer, is Jesus' word that raises the dead and gives us spiritual life and communion with God. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. How were we made alive? I forgive you, be of good cheer, do not be afraid. There is no condemnation for you, Are in Christ Jesus. And finally, number four, in the resurrection, our communion with God and our loved ones who have died in the faith is restored. And this is what sustains us under the cross of grief, under the cross of sorrow. But it sustains us in hope, a confident hope, a confident certainty that because Jesus lives, we shall live also. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die.
0: Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks.
1: Thank you, Todd.
0: Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll talk to Katie Faust about parenting strategies for helping children resist leftist indoctrination. And we'll have Dr. John Brugge lead us in a teaching on Old Testament prophet Jonah.
2: I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234 Box 83 Collinsville, Illinois 62234 You can also donate at our website IssuesETC.org Issues Etc. is a production of LPR Lutheran Public Radio
3: You're invited to October Fiesta Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. October Fiesta features authentic Mexican cuisine, desserts from Cruda Bakery, a festive mariachi band, and of course, plenty of Mexican beverages. Tickets are $25. Proceeds benefit St. Paul Lutheran School, the only classical Lutheran school in greater St. Louis. Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. October Fiesta is sponsored in part by Ernst Heating and Cooling, Vallo Floor Coverings, Seavers Equipment, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Baker Construction, Bunker Hill Chiropractic, and Lutheran Public Radio. October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd, at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. school.stpaulhamill.org